The Old Testament lesson is from Ezekiel chapter 34. We have the overtones of a king coming, and yet he appears most clearly as a loving and just shepherd. We'll see those themes again in the gospel reading. For when Christ comes again, he is not just coming as a mere judge. It is not merely justice. But it's far more than that. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. They shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God to them, Behold, I, I myself, will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do you notice overtones of the 23rd Psalm here? That's a picture that's going to be showing in all these lessons the love and the care of God to the very end. The epistle is from 1 Corinthians 15, beginning verse 20. This is the proof that Jesus is the one who can save. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. 
Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel for this Sunday is recorded in Matthew chapter 25, beginning verse 31. Jesus said, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will say to them, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. 
and these will go into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sanctify them by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. This text is the third in a series that you've been listening to. It all has to do with the end time. This one is joyous and yet at the same time very grim. It is a picture of Christ coming as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, but he comes in a double measure for two activities. As you were listening to this gospel, did any of you think to yourself or hope to yourself, I want to be one of the sheep, or I hope I'm one of the sheep? How do I know if I'm one of the sheep? That gets a little scary to ask the question that way, doesn't it? There's a large part of this text that some people use as a test to justify themselves. That's not the intent, but we'll look at that in a moment or two. When I was reading after that significant little word for, after first mentioning salvation, prepared, or being cursed, also prepared. The word for would seem to us to be the reasons why there is either blessedness of eternal life or the condemnation of the damned. Have any of you ever read this passage and thought of it that way? That these are reasons why you end up in heaven or hell? To soften the blow, I want you to understand that our twisted, old, sinful nature likes to think of this in terms of meeting requirements. But on the other hand, I want to hit you smack dab in the face with the truth that if you think these are things that you can do and that you thereby gain eternal life, you're one of the goats. You know nothing of the gospel. This gospel, even in the way that Jesus talks about the separation, like a shepherd who separates the sheep. This is Ba. He's been here for years. Now he's at home and my grandkids beat him up, sit on him and throw him around. And this is Jeremy. No, that's not right. Laramie, that's right. He's got a tag on his bottom that tells me. The final judgment that Jesus does is in terms of a shepherd. Now, in the ancient world, sheep and goats would run around together all the time. That was common. You didn't have a herd of goats and then a herd of sheep. They were always mixed up together. The shepherd would take care of both of them. That's showing his love. He was not mean to the goats and nice toward the sheep. He was loving and caring toward all of them. 
That's the picture of the 23rd Psalm and so many other parts of Scripture where God declares himself to be a tender shepherd. But there does come a time where there has to be a separation. A shepherd would have been doing this for years. At various times through the year, the sheep would be separated out, particularly at times for shearing. And the shepherd would do it with his crook. All it would take was a little tap to move them right or left. It was never done in anger or hatred. He cared for all of them together. But there were times when they had to be apart, especially for the shearing of the sheep. This last parable that Jesus gives about judgment does have to do with separation, but it's final. There's no going back. The goats will be separated from the sheep and will never be able to return back again. Of these two animals, do you know which one is the wisest? The goat. They may be bullheaded. They might not always follow orders, but they were very smart. Aside from wool, which the sheep gave, do you know what a goat could do for you? Milk, goat milk, still some of the best there is. A goat was also one who could defend himself which sometimes he tried to do for the sake of himself and the sheep. He's a tough character. What do goats need to eat? Who said ten cans? It's almost that bad. They could survive on anything. And they were smart. Goats were smart about how they ate. They knew enough to, to leave some of the grass or weeds or stubble there to let it grow. The sheep, on the other hand, would just keep nibbling and nibbling until not only did they get the grass, but they also ate up the roots and all. And they would kill entire pastures off. That's why I've noticed, as I am listening now to more episodes of gun smoke. (laughs) you, You young people have to ask Grandma and Grandpa what that's about. Why the cattlemen hated the sheep herders. Sheep would ruin everything. The only thing you get from sheep is wool. And then you have to grab them, turn them upside down, and shear them, and they struggle all the way. It's a big pain to shear them. Goats can carry burdens. They can pull little carts behind them. They're very trainable. They're very rugged. Goats among the two are the most usable, except you really don't like to make stuff out of goat fur. That was a little rough. So what is it about sheep? Oh, don't say they're cuddly. Shepherds usually did not come up in their right mind to cuddle sheep because sheep stink. They have a stench that's some of the worst in the world. You might think the goat does, 
But no, the goat's relatively clean. It's those stinking sheep. So what does the sheep have going for him? Jesus says in John's gospel, my sheep continue to listen to my voice and I know them and they they joyfully follow me. They like to listen to the voice of the shepherd. And as Luther points out to us, the fact that they follow him is a matter of faith. They have great faith in the shepherd, which is a good thing because they are some of the dumbest animals that God ever made. But it's a picture of faith. With this in mind now, we look at the first part of this text. The Son of God comes in his glory. This is a royal term. And all the angels with him, not just some. He sits on the glorious throne for one purpose, a separation, a judgment, and this one cannot be changed. The sheep go to his right and the goats on his left. It is what the shepherd then says to the sheep that gives us the clue as to what is really going on with the separation. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed, blessed by my father. Baruch is the Hebrew old term. It's God's gracious blessing that he gives not based upon any merit whatsoever. It comes from the heart of a shepherd who loves his usually wayward sheep. And how does the kingdom come? The key word here is inherit. Uh, have some of you inherited anything yet from relatives, grandmas, aunts, uncles? And all of you are fine, perfect, beautiful examples of... Do you know where I'm going with this? My brother and I inherited a little bit of stuff from my Uncle Tex. And he had a word for the both of us. He called us hellions. Has nothing to do with scallions. But if there was trouble to get into, we would find it. And he didn't like that too much. But he loved us enough to give us a little inheritance when he passed away. You get an inheritance ultimately because you are family. Your inheritance began here in baptism. You're a child of God because God gives his blessings which come from his son Jesus Christ. He gives them to you in holy baptism. That's when you became a child of God. Even though every one of us should acknowledge that by nature we're, quote, a mean little kid. We're more like a goat in disposition. But you inherit the kingdom. That's sheer grace. Now, even inheriting the kingdom does cost something. Kingdoms don't come free. And here we have to insert the gospel. What Jesus did for us during his entire life. Not just what he did at the cross, but also his entire life. Because the two parts of the gospel involve his entire life. From the moment he was born until the moment he died, he was righteous. Righteous. 
He always did what was right, perfectly. And Isaiah and Jeremiah talk about the Lord, our righteousness. Then, of course, on his last day on earth, he gives his life as the blood atonement for the sins of the world. That's the cost. What is with this business then when Jesus says, For I was hungry and you gave me food, I was thirsty and you gave me drink. This whole listing of things. What's this all about? Just remember, it does not have to do with something you have done to merit being a one who receives this inheritance. The minute that you think that way, you have lost the gospel. When you start trying to justify yourself, either to God or to other people, you've lost it. This has nothing to do with trusting in the gospel, God's mercy. Now, it's too bad we're not more Jewish. Or is there some Jewish person here by Jewish background that I don't know of? Shalom Aleichem. An Old Testament Jewish person would recognize, and even in Jesus' day, would recognize very easily what this is. This is not a listing of meritorious things that you can do to gain your forgiveness or to gain the kingdom by your goodness. This is a simple presentation of the Jewish understanding of mercy. Chesed. Mercy, mercy, mercy. To Americans, oftentimes it's just a word. Shows up in songs. Some think that mercy is merely a feeling that we have toward others. Oh, that's too bad. Oh, our heart goes out to them. But real mercy is something that not only affects our deepest person, but also our very life. And mercy, the Jews would tell us, all flows from God. Look at the way how God treated wayward Israel for centuries on end. In spite of their sins, he continued to love them. In spite of sending them off for 70 years of captivity so they'd learn a lesson, he still loved them. <coughs> this mercy flows from God to you only when you understand God's daily mercy toward you. If you want to be work righteous at the end of the day, you better plead for mercy big time. You need the mercy of God to overlook your sins, which is basically the promise of the gospel. Now, the older you get, you know, 50, 60, 30, <clears throat> you will get a greater understanding of your sinfulness. At least I do. There's stupid things that I did when I was in kindergarten or third grade or things I did to my brother or my cousins. Makes me shudder to think that I did those things. I'm not going into detail. But the more you understand the mercy that God continues to show you in Christ, the care he continues to give you all the time, even though none of us deserve it, 
the more that that sinks into our bone-headed soul, the more the Spirit will work and will begin to start doing these acts of mercy. Look how basic they are to give food and drink. Now, to welcome a stranger means to treat him with honor and respect, to give basic clothing. If someone's sick, you care for them. That's the notion of the term visit. In prison? Have any of you visited anybody in prison? Notice I didn't see have any of you been in prison. These are all acts of mercy and kindness done, not because the other person deserves any of it, but it's just an overflowing response when you see someone hurting or in pain and suffering, and it isn't merely a feeling. You do these acts of mercy not to gain points with God, but to give thanks to God for all the mercy He keeps showing us over and over again. Notice this confuses the righteous when they hear this answer. They can't remember ever seeing actually Jesus in any of these needs. And so he has to explain it to them in simple terms. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least, the least important, the nobodies, as you have done it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me which is also a clue how you may show your thanksgiving. I don't mean turkeys and saucy patties and pumpkin pie and stuff. How do you give thanks to Jesus? It's in terms of anybody you see who has some need, some sorrow, some hurt, and out of love you go and help as best you can. When you do that, that's thanksgiving. So don't worry that you can't have the entire family over so you can share COVID. If there's a neighbor that doesn't have much, help out a little. Every so often I help my neighbors because they're not the best at keeping their lawn up or raking their leaves. And partly out of self-preservation for my yard, I go and help them. See how imperfect my mercy is. With this understanding, he talks about the, those who are cursed. What are they going to get? Notice it's not inherit. They get eternal fire. At the end of the parable, you have this other picture and they will go into eternal punishment. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, my mom or dad would come out with a yardstick or a piece of lath or a paddle. Dad liked lath. That's the stuff in old walls. And we'd run away, and mom would say, now you know this has to happen. You might as well get it over. And that was the good news with mom. Let's get it over. Sure, after a few swats and our bottom side was hot and stinging, it was over. The matter was done. Now, we didn't like dad doing it because he had a tendency to swat harder and longer. But 
That's neither here nor there. I can't imagine punishment that's forever, that has no end. Notice, the judgment is not that you're exterminated or destroyed or thrown out into nothingness. There's punishment, and it will last on and on. The cursed, however, if you look clearly, try to take these different acts of mercy as righteous acts. And they tried to say, well, we didn't see you in this condition, this one, this one, this one, or this one. We didn't see you in any of those things, so uh, what what are you getting mad at us for? They're self-righteous, and that's where their condemnation stands. Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Our expression of mercy back to God, back to Christ, is always an expression of what we do in love for each other, to one another, anybody who has a need, who's in pain or suffering. It's not that we're going to be perfect at it. Notice that's not in here. But that we do as we have ability. Remember the parable of the talents last week. So on Christ the King Sunday, he will indeed come, and there will indeed be a separation Laramie and all the goats will be no longer around to pester us. We'll only be with Christ Jesus, who is elsewhere described in Scripture as the Good Shepherd. He's the one we'll know forever. So celebrate that on this final Sunday of the church year. Look forward past all of the difficulties and suffering and trials. Look forward to having the shepherd call you by name. Amen. And the peace of God that passes understanding will keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.